So to keep them, keep them, I don't know if Tanner planned this out or not, but almost every week it seems like I'm amazed at how well the songs fit right into like what I'm going to say, uh, which is kind of cool. I don't know if that's Tanner planning that or just God saying, hey, you're preaching the same message. It's the gospel and the songs. It's gospel and the message. It's, it's been really cool. Um, so this morning, like, I fully intend to chase a lot of rabbit trails, um, probably get off on some tangents. And I know I've said that before, like, I'm probably, it's probably going to be all over the place, but this morning's actually kind of planned to do that. So just try to bear with me a little bit. And um, I do have a direction in this. I do have kind of an end-all goal and where I want to go. Um, and also this morning, I'm going to be kind of all over the place throughout the whole Bible. I'm going to be talking about verses that are kind of spread out um, from the beginning to the end. And it was brought to my attention that I've not always done a wonderful job of slowing down and allowing people the time to find the verses that I'm going to read, um, even on smart devices, which should be very quick. So I'm going to try to do a very good job of doing that, but probably not today. And I say that because I'm going to be all over the place. And just due to time's sake, please jot these references down. Please take notes. Please say, I'm going to slow down enough to hopefully allow you to, to internalize the verse, the reference. But if we flip to the probably 100 references I'm going to give today, we might be here all day. So jot these down. Look at them later. Um, but do flip to Matthew 5.33. Um, that is where we're going to start. I don't necessarily know this where we're going to end, but I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. After you have time to flip there, I'm going to give you adequate time to do this. Uh, starting in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, Again, you have heard it said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So once again, take a wild guess. What you have is Jesus correcting some Old Testament interpretations, just like we've been, just like I've said the last two weeks that Tanner mentioned, like that's where we're at. Like, we've said, and I'm going to say it again, that Jesus is not adding to the Old Testament law. He's not removing anything from it. He's just changing the interpretation. He's correcting the interpretation that these Pharisees had been teaching and these Jews had been, had been following. So it, I don't want us to get it in our mind that we're ever, that Jesus has changed anything, but just correcting the interpretation. The last couple of weeks, what we've mentioned is that we, we, he's been pointing back to specific Old Testament references. Like, he's pointed back the first two weeks, we talked about the Ten Commandments. He pulled out Ten Commandments and said, this is what you read, and this is what you're teaching, but this is actually what it meant. Last week, the reference that he was talking about was Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, and that's where he was. And if you notice, a lot of Bibles have footnotes, and you can see Next to those verses, at the bottom of the page, it says where that came from, where that verse came from, in Exodus chapter 20, or, Ex or Deuteronomy 24. But something a little bit different for this week is, 
that there is no footnote, if you'll notice, that it says that Jesus said, you've heard it said, but there's no footnote. And I was a little curious of that, so I looked into it a little more, and the reason why is Jesus is actually not quoting any specific Old Testament verse. He says, you've heard it said, but what he's doing is he's kind of pulling three separate verses together and saying, you've heard this teaching. This is what the Pharisees have been teaching is, is this concept. I'm going to read these three verses. Um, so jot them down, flip to them if you want to. But the first one is Leviticus 19.12. Leviticus 19.12. It says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The second one is Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. It says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it, and you will be guilty of sin. Again, that's Leviticus 19, 12, Numbers 32, 30, verse 2 and Deuteronomy 23, 21. So you see this, they're saying that like, you're to be faithful in the vows that you make. Like that's, that's the kind of the gist of these Old Testament verses. And again, I said it last week, but I don't want us to get in this idea that any, any part of the Old Testament was wrong. That as Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but I'm going to say this, like the Old Testament is not wrong. That the Old Testament is true just like the New Testament is true. So I hope that we, we, we get that part. But as I looked more and more into it this week, like what I found was actually kind of silly uh, to an extent. Like they had taken this law and they were acknowledging the fact that any sort of oath or promise uh, made towards God or before God was absolutely binding. So they saw basically if you made an oath before God, it was law, basically. And that seems respectable. Like, it seems like, okay, seems like they've gotten the gist of that. But because they acknowledge this, what they were doing is taking things that were important, but maybe not so important as God, and saying, we're going to make promises on those things so that we're not bound by law. So they're not, it's not quite so serious. They're trying to find a loophole, basically, to not tell the truth. Um, which, it seems silly, but listen to some of the things that they were doing. Like, I, I, as I researched, some of the things they were teaching were you could make an oath on the temple or on the altar, and it wasn't binding. You, you were allowed, it wasn't legally binding if you said, I swear towards the temple, I swear towards, towards the altar. But if you said, I swear on the food on the altar, or I swear on the gold on the altar, that it was binding. And then you saw, like, if you swore on Jerusalem that it was not legally binding, that you had some leeway to get out of it if you wanted to. But if you swore towards Jerusalem that it was legally binding. Like, do you see the kind of confusion? Like the, I don't know, like silly. Like, it doesn't make much sense. People are trying to get out of telling the truth, basically. And I was thinking, like, to live in a culture that, that kind of defines oaths and promises that way, it's kind of scary. I mean, if someone comes and says... I want to borrow $1,000 from you. 
assuming you have $1,000, um, assuming you're not planning a wedding. Um, but if they come and try to borrow this money from you and say, I swear to the church, I swear on my head, I swear to my house, I swear to whatever that I'm going to pay you back your $1,000, there's no way I'm giving them this $1,000, right? Like, they've already, they know that swearing before God is binding, and swearing before something else is not, so there's no way I'm going to agree to that. Like, as a kid, you see, you always had, like, I'm crossing my fingers behind my back. I don't have to follow the promise if I cross my hand, fingers behind my back. Like, you're not going to make a promise with someone if you know that their fingers are crossed behind their back, right? Like, if you know that's the case, and that's basically what's happening, you're saying, I swear before something lower than the name of God, so I can kind of leave myself an out, so it's not... I'm not breaking God's law or not breaking the law if I don't fulfill this promise. So you see, it's kind of like, it's kind of silly. But as I looked more and more into it, I was like, okay, so what was a biblical, what was a biblical oath then? As I've been practicing this week, like, my oath always comes out, comes out as like oats. And, sorry, but I keep struggling with that in my head. Um, but like, what was a biblical oath like, bear with me. I'm going to bounce around a little bit again um, to, like, a bunch of verses. So Deuteronomy 6.13, this is, like, the first that says, like, this is how you are to swear. This is how you are to make an oath. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Didn't Jesus just say not to take an oath? And here God is saying, swear by my name. I think it's a little confusing. But I think that's where some clarification is kind of necessary because, like, Jesus is being very specific on what kind of oaths not to take. Like he's saying, if you read it, it says, do not take an oath at all. This is Matthew 5, 34. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, by earth, like, he's being very specific on what kind of oaths not to take. Like, don't take these willy-nilly oaths on something less than my name. I don't think he's saying never, ever, ever take an oath. We'll get to that in a little bit. But jump to Genesis twenty-two, sixteen. 16. You see that God obeys his own command. Granted, it's not recorded in our Bibles until Deuteronomy. But listen to what he says to Abraham. This is in Genesis 22:16. As you're flipping there, I'm going to try to give you a second. Abraham has just been commanded to sacrifice his only son. And then he's seen to be faithful as he is willing to do that. You see that he doesn't end up God stops him and says, "Okay, you've been faithful." And listen to what God says in Genesis 22:16. He says, "By myself I have sworn," declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore. Like God says, by myself I have sworn. I always do that. Last week I did it this week. Um, Hebrews 6.13 kind of reiterates this. Hebrews 6.13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Like, hopefully this kind of rules out for us that swearing by the name of God 
in, in and of itself is a bad thing because we see God doing it. And then all throughout the Old Testament, you see people doing this before God. And it doesn't disappear in the New Testament either. Like we see this multiple times, and I'm going to go through some of them, but there's actually more than just this. Paul does it quite a few times. I'm just going to give you three. Paul, in Galatians 1.20, says, In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. He brought God's name into his promise. 2 Corinthians 1.18 says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. It's a little confusing, Paul saying yes and no in terms of the passage we're talking about in Matthew, but it's a little bit different context there. He's just saying that he's making an oath that before the faithfulness of God, that what we've been saying to you is the truth, that they've not been lying. And then again in Romans 9, 1, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't think we would say that Paul is in sin by making these oaths. I don't think we would say that. Jesus actually talks under oath too. When he's under trial later on in Matthew, he, he's under trial under, before the high priest. And, and listen to what this says. This is Matthew 26, 63 and 64. Matthew 26, 63 and 64. And it says, And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes. Like, you see Jesus, the high priest comes to him and says, I adjure you before the living God. Like, puts him under this, before God, I'm going to ask you this. And Jesus responds to him. So, like, you see the seriousness of this as the high, the high priest and his response. He says he tears his robes because from his point of view, Jesus has just said something false under an oath before God. So you see, the high priest has a dramatic response to that. He tears off his robes because he sees how serious this is. So I think it's, it kind of begs the question, like, what is Jesus talking about with oaths here? We've seen that the, the misuse of it, You've seen the command, the biblical commands, like God says, swear by my name. And then you've seen Paul and Jesus both doing this. So I think it's kind of confusing as to what he's talking about. Something I mentioned with divorce last week was that it was not something that was around from the beginning. Like that, that before sin, God said, this is how marriage is going to look. Here it is. And then sin... And then God made some commands or some stipulations on divorce. And I think with oaths, I was thinking this week, this isn't in the Bible, this is me just talking, um, but like, would there have been any oaths in the Garden of Eden before sin? I was thinking about it, like, would there have been any need before sin to make an oath? Because if you said yes, it meant yes. If you said no, it meant no. Like, there was no, without sin, there's no lie. I don't know, that's not like referenced anywhere. It's just me kind of thinking. 
But then you have God saying, okay, with this oath, after the fall, you have God saying, this is what an oath is going to look like. It's going to be made in my name, and it's binding. Like, it's serious. And I think it's this picturing that, like, a Garden of Eden scenario where before sin, like, I think you see that the culture that Jesus is talking to here, and very much our culture, if not more now, is a culture that is so different than that. Like, a culture now, people, I think, almost assume that what you hear is not truth. Like, we're so skeptical of absolutely everything we hear because you don't know what, the, what is truth. I mean, internet. I wish people joke about oh, everything, on, everything you read is true. Like, it's always almost, a, it's a joke nowadays because so much of it is not. And, like, you, you see this so often. And I was thinking, I don't have, like, decades and decades to base this off of. Um, some of us do. But, um, like, what I, was, <laughs> what I was told was, like, it wasn't too long ago when a handshake meant basically a binding agreement. That a handshake was all that it took and you knew someone was going to fulfill their word. You knew someone was going to do what they, were gonna, what they said if they shook your hand. And I don't think that's the case at all now, like, whatsoever. Like, all of a sudden, a handshake has turned into, okay, now I want you to shake my hand, but also sign this contract and sign your name. We're going to add that to it. But now we're going to add a bunch of fine print at the bottom and say what's going to happen if you don't come through on what you said you're going to do. There might be a, still be a handshake at the end, but does that even mean anything? Oh, now you're going to have to have a co-signer just in case you don't follow through with what you said you're going to do. Oh, you got to have references. we got to check your character. Like, do you see, like, it's almost like people are assuming you're not going to tell the truth. Like, that you're not going to do what you said you're going to do in a, any sort of contract, any sort of lease, any sort of loan, because you almost expect that people are going to lie to you. People are going to not tell the truth. Like, this is the world that we live in. And, like, we live in a world that I don't necessarily know if we know what truth is. Like, you, even just talking about things like any sort of moral standard, people, like, you hear people say, don't try to tell me what's right. Don't try to tell me what's wrong. Like, I'm going to write my own moral standard. Don't tell me about your biblical authority. Like, don't tell me about that moral standard. I'm a good person within myself. Like, my own judgment of good versus evil, right versus wrong, that that's, it's pretty good. It's, it's adequate. But then you hear it's these same people that scream out for justice when they see murder, when they see theft, when they see rape, when they see all these things that are very, very bad. You see them throwing up flags saying, you went against my moral compass. You went against what I deemed as good, what I deemed as right. And you start to see how murky this gets because everything is saying like, oh, this is right by me. But don't tell me what's right for me. That can be right for you. That's true. That's not true. And it's just kind of a scary place, I think, that our culture has gone to. Like, often when I was in China, a conversation that I would start with people, just new friends as we're talking, um, what I would do is ask them, like, what, just, I'd basically throw it up as a culture difference and say, so what do you base your right versus wrong? What do you base, what is your standard of morality? Like, what is it? And usually they'd say, well, we all have a pretty good gauge of that. I mean, murder's wrong. Stealing is wrong. They're pretty much like, this is wrong. Everyone knows this. And I'd usually say, like, well, how do you know? And usually they're like, well, everyone knows this. Like, they don't have an answer deeper than that. Or 
if I push a little further, they say, well, the laws in my country say that this is wrong, so that's what I'm going to follow. And just as like a food for thought kind of thing, what I'd often throw out would be like the Robin Hood scenario. Like, what if you and your family are starving to death, have no food? Is it wrong for you to go and take, maybe with the intention to give back to them, food? Like, is it, is it wrong to go take from them who has someone who has an abundance? And usually the, the response was, what, uh, what? They never could answer me. And I would never try to avoid getting into the topic of whether that was right or wrong, and I'm not going to this morning. But, like, just by that one simple question, you see them start questioning what's moral, what's not. Because they had no set authority. They had no set standard. And, like, you see this. Like, people want to define what is true for them and not as true for someone else. And I was thinking, I read an example this week about, like, one-way streets, and it works out well because we have two of them right here. But, like, if someone tries to say that the law says it's a one-way street, I disagree. I'm going to not listen to that. I'm going to make my own law. You'll quickly see that does not work very well. That just, we see it all the time. I mean, granted, it might be more due to ignorance here than disobedience. I don't know. But it doesn't work out very well for anyone in that picture. People try to define their own truth. And you could go many examples of this. Um, but I think you kind of see the point. This was kind of one of the many little rabbit trails I was going to go, but I think that we don't have this like baseline of truth. We're not truthful people. We expect people to not be truthful people. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about something deeper than just a promise. Like, I think that Jesus is not, I said this earlier, he's not saying never take an oath. Because we saw that happen a lot in the Bible as I kind of skimmed through a lot of those different passages. But I think he's being very serious about what kind of oaths not to take. And, like, listen to these three oaths. They should sound familiar. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States. I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife, and do promise before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful husband in sickness and in health, and it goes on from there. I'll finish it when we actually get married. Um, but, sorry. Uh, like, these oaths are not wrong. Like, these oaths are social constructs that Jesus is not talking about here. Like, it's not wrong to take an oath like this. But I think he's being very serious. And you hear people all the time, like, growing up, you have kids all the time. I swear to God, I saw that. I I swear. I swear. All the time, whether it be I swear to God, whether it be I, you hear I, I swear in my mother's grave, you see, you hear all these things that I think of it more when I was younger, but even now, like all the time, you hear people throwing in, I swear to God. And Jesus is saying, stop that. Don't do that. Like you don't realize what you're doing. Like I want to get really practical here for a second and, and just really think about us and I think that as a people, including people in the church, followers of Christ, we're people that are not truthful often. That we're, we're, so worried, we're so scared to tell the truth sometimes that we go to great lengths to like skate around it, to touch the edges of it. 
Like, you, you see that in we're not very direct people. We're very indirect, outside of maybe the Clemens family. But, like, we're very not direct. We don't, we, we try to, like, not say the truth. I'll come back to that in a second. But, like, you see this in a lot of different areas. Like, I'm going to give two, like, kind of silly examples. But for those of you that use Facebook, you get an invitation to a Facebook event. How often do you click, no, I'm not coming? Andy. Okay, yeah. But, like, what you do is you click maybe, even if you know you're not coming. You click maybe or you just don't respond. I'm thinking of, like, multiple parties in my head that I've done this to. Like, you just don't respond or you click maybe because you don't want to click no. Now, the city lunches? Today was, like, the first day I think I've seen someone click no. Good job, Nate. Like, like you were honest said, no, I'm not coming. What about when someone asks you to go somewhere? Hey, do you want to go out to dinner this week? If you know you don't want to go, do you ever say, no, I don't want to go? You don't, do you? Like, what you do is you're like, well, I might have something going on. Let me check my schedule and I'll let you know. I hope, hopefully I can go. You get home an hour later, you send a text message and say, sorry, I can't go. Like, people are so not direct, and I am definitely talking about myself. Gee, I'm getting the stare down. Like, I'm, we're not direct people. We, like, skate around the truth because we're, like, afraid to say it for some reason. I don't really know why. Like, I don't want to say that some things can be said with some extra grace. I think that definitely there's times when you can say this with grace, with love. But I don't think that can be at the expense of not telling the truth. Because if you don't tell the truth, Jesus is saying, like, anything more than telling the truth, you see, it comes from evil. Why? This is a serious question. Why do people not tell the truth? Why do people lie? Hmm? They're scared to tell the truth? Any other thoughts? They don't want to hurt someone's feelings? Make themselves look better? I think some things that I wrote down were to build up their own reputation, kind of what Jordan said. We want to be approved. We don't want someone not to like us if we don't tell the truth. We want to manipulate in some way. We do this to not tell the truth. And I think we fall into this trap of saying things that other people want to hear. We might have good intentions in doing so, but you say things people want to hear. Election season, you hear that all the time. People making promises that they're going to do this and do that, and rarely do you see these people who, once they become presidents, actually do all these things they promised. I'm going to take a wild guess and say this one will probably be no different. But on a more like example towards us, I think what we're prone to do in that desire to say what we think people want to hear Someone asks you to do something, we right away say, yes, I'd love to. Yes, I'll do that. Like we respond with a yes or a no even before we take the time to calculate, can I actually even do that? Like do I have the time, the, the resources, the, the ability to do this? I know I'm very guilty of this. But, like I think that that's, that's like a desire to be approved, a desire to say what someone else wants to hear but we do it without first making sure that that yes can actually be a yes. Because if it turns into a no, all of a sudden we've not told the truth. 
Exaggerations, I think, are another great example of that we think sometimes is exaggerations are not a lie. And exaggerations are just as much a lie as not telling the truth blatantly. Like, we make exaggerations big and small. We make them positive. We make them negatively. But it's just, that's not a yes. That's not a no. That's an exaggeration. Something that's not the truth. Like, another kind of little tangent that I took, but I think these are necessary as we see that Jesus is just saying, followers of me are going to be people of integrity. People, as you're a follower of me, we said this is what Jesus is doing, saying, followers of me are going to exhibit this. And they're going to be people of integrity. Like, what, another question, what is the number one thing you usually hear of people that say, I don't like church people, I don't like the church? the number one response? They're hypocrites. Exactly. I'm glad that's what you said. Like, they say you're hypocrites. They say that the church people say one thing, they preach one thing, and then they act a completely different way once they leave the walls. And the common response I've often heard is, well, yeah, the church is full of broken people. The church is full of people who are not perfect. The church is a hospital for, for sick people. Like, absolutely. Believe all that is true. Not counteracting that whatsoever. But I think what that tells us is that people see our words, they see our actions, they see um, our lives outside of these walls. That is what they see. They don't see us in here. They see us out there. And this is what Jesus is talking to. He's, He's challenging the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's saying, you guys are getting it wrong. You're worried about the external. You're worried about so much looking good and not worrying about the heart. And I realize that I'm saying it's kind of backwards from what we've been saying. I think that often the, the, the danger, the warning, is that we think that the external doesn't matter. It's all internal. And I definitely believe that, that God is wanting to change our hearts, that, that, that as God changes our hearts, as he gives us this new heart, we've talked about a heart, des- like being desperate for a desperate heart, a God that is, or a heart that is saying, like, I need more of you, God. Like, absolutely. But we have to realize that people out there are seeing our truthfulness, our integrity. They're, they're hearing the words we say. And we need to realize, like, how much this can impact some people. Like, I really believe that integrity and being people of truth can have an impact on lost people outside of the church. And I think that we have to be people of integrity, people of truth, people that are yeses are yeses, are noes and noes are noes, if we're going to make an impact on this area, on this city. Non-Christians who are living a life outside of hope in Jesus are living a life full of broken promises. That's what their lives are full of. You see that alcohol... Fails to fulfill, fails to live up to its promises. Sexual morality fails to live up to its promises. Drugs fail to live up to promises. Pornography fails to live up to its promises. Sex, sex, success, worldly success, all those things fail to live up to their promises. There's people that are broken, there's people that are hurting because of broken promises within relationships. People that have said yes to something. People that have said no to something. People that have made them a promise 
And now they're hurting because of a broken promise. They're hurting because of the lack of integrity of someone. I think you see this because lies, the Bible says, come straight from Satan. Like, that's where they come straight from. Matthew 5, 37, where we've been, says, anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus taught, talking to the Jews, it's seen in John, John 8, 44. Jesus is very direct here. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Pretty clear here. Like, anything other than truth comes from the devil, comes from Satan. But on the flip side of this, like, this gives us, as people of integrity, as people of truth, to point to a God who is truth. A God who we know is not going to come back on his promises. The God that we sang as promise maker, promise keeper. I think, how incredible is that, that as we are that are demonstrating this truth and integrity, our yes is being yes, our no is being no, that this is what we're known for. Like Jesus is saying, your integrity should be at a spot where you don't have to go, go under an oath because people know that when you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, it means no. That there's no reason to challenge this because they believe you, because you've exemplified that in your life. What I really was going to do was go through like the whole Testament and be very thorough and say, there's this promise God made, he fulfilled it. There's this promise made, he fulfilled it. And we'd be here all night, all day and night if we did that. But I think we've already kind of alluded to one with Abraham. You see that when I read Genesis 22, 16, I believe, earlier, you see that, that God promised he's going to make his offspring, Abraham's offspring, numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And then in Exodus 1, you see that that's already being fulfilled. Exodus 1, as they're in Egypt, says that the land was full of them. Like, God had made them into a nation. And you already see, that's just the very next book in the Bible. And that's already being fulfilled. Something we've talked about this Old Testament, that we've said that the whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. That it's all about Jesus, it's always been about Jesus. And Jesus is, I would say, the biggest and best promise that God has made and that God, has come in, that God has come through on, that God has fulfilled. We've talked about Genesis 3.15 before, this Proto-Evangelion, that he said it's the first gospel message. It's the first time the gospel was ever preached. That right there, right after the fall, right after man sinned directly against God, God says, I'm going to send one who's going to make it right. I'm going to send one who's going to defeat this. And then going on from there, you have promise after promise about Jesus. That, came, that, that God said, this is the promise, this is how it's going to be fulfilled, and it was. I'm just going to fly through a couple of these. Micah 5.2 says that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7.14 says he'd be born of a virgin. Psalm 45.6-7 says he would have an eternal throne. Isaiah 53.3 says he'd be rejected by his own people. Psalm 2.7 says he'd be the son of God. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, says that he would heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah 53, 5 through 12, says that he would be a sacrifice for his people's sins, for the people's sins. 
Like God has promised all of this from the beginning. If you want those references again, I'd be glad to tell you later. But that he's promised I'm going to make it right. And he came through on them. He said that because of the blood of Jesus, I will forgive you. That he's, he's made this promise. That as people of integrity, this is the promise that we are able to then go and talk about. And as are people of truth, as are people of integrity, our yeses are yeses, our noes are noes. We're not making silly oaths, but we're doing what we say we're going to do. That gives us the opportunity to talk to people out there, in here, wherever, that are lost, that are broken, that, are, that have been burned by a past relationship, they've been burned by a broken promise in some way or another. But Jesus is saying, as a follower of me, you are to have integrity. You are to, to be the person that you say you're going to be. Like, there should be no room for, oh, they're hypocrites, because we so exemplify this life that we're preaching, this life that we're talking about. Like, as people of integrity, as people who say we're going to do what we say we're going to do, we do what we say we're going to do, um, we're able to talk about this message of reconciliation that we've talked about the past couple weeks, that this is the message, this is the same message that is promised there in Isaiah. It says that he'll be a sacrifice for the transgressors, for the many of transgressors. Like, he's going to be a sacrifice. He's going to provide forgiveness. He's going to provide redemption. And that is the message that we are able to preach. If we're not known for our truth, if we're not known for our yeses to be yeses, our noes to be noes, people don't want to hear that. People will say, you're just lying to me. They're not going to believe a word you say if that's not what you're known for, if that's not who you are. But I think God is saying, have integrity. Say yes. There's no need to make a promise if your yes is yes and your no is no. I pray that we would just be able to, to go out with that same message of reconciliation as people believe us, as, people, as we're people of truth. Are they always going to believe you? No. But let that not be our character that they're doubting. Like, as God changes our hearts, I just pray that we would see this. That that would that that'd be our thing. That we, we pray that God make us people, make us, give us that integrity. Clean our heart. Give us that heart that is desperate for you. That desperate is the truth that only he can give. The, the only truth that there is. Like, this is my prayer, and I hope that 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 would be our prayer. Let's pray.